As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training, kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway, in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. Bench is an online bookkeeping service that provides you with tax-ready financial statements from professional bookkeepers. It's everything you need to forget about your bookkeeping without actually forgetting about your bookkeeping. Go to www.bench.co forward slash rocket ship to save 20% off your first six months. Welcome to the Rocket Ship Podcast. I'm Michael Saka. I'm Matt Goldman. And I'm Joelle Goldman. Today we talked with David Hauser, founder of Grasshopper and Angel Investor. What'd you guys think? This is great. Um, we haven't actually kind of covered this bootstrap funding middle ground in a little while. So it was nice to kind of get back into it um, and hear how he was approaching um, investing in companies that uh, had a, a good amount of revenue and helping them grow to the next level with an investment that didn't require an exit. Um, what did you think, man? 
Yeah, he really took us back to basics with this one, talking about cash flow, profit, the kind of things that every business really needs to get right and that a lot of startups overlook. So let's get into it. Wistia is a video hosting platform built specifically for business. If you're using video as a part of your marketing strategy, you need to be able to measure its impact. Wistia is helping over 175,000 businesses do just that with premium video hosting, lead generation tools, and in-depth video analytics. For more about Wistia, visit wistia.com forward slash rocket ship. So David, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, absolutely. Incredibly excited to to have you. Um, we kind of know you from the grasshopper days. Um, catch us up as to what's happened since you've sold that and what you're up to today. Yeah, so after running and growing Grasshopper for more than 12 years, um, sold it to Citrix this past uh, May, roughly, um, and you know have you know refocused you know my time on uh, Chargerify, which is another company we own, and then investing and advising you know either founders I previously worked with um, or new companies. So you know a little bit of a shift from what I was doing before uh, at Grasshopper, but you know really talks to what I love, which is working with entrepreneurs. And you're a big believer in bootstrapping to revenue. Um, where did you, I, I guess, you know, where did this kind of philosophy come from? Yeah, great question. Yeah, big believer in bootstrapping. Um, I think at certain times it does make sense to, to take money, but not for um, the beginning of a company and the initial growth stages. Um, and, you know, I've had experience with both. I raised a significant amount of capital uh, from big name VCs before at a previous company before Grasshopper. Um, and, you know, Grasshopper, we really decided to just build a great company. We didn't want to be limited by, you know, uh, funders kind of timeframes. A typical VC has a, you know, three to seven year timeframe, depending on the, the, the vintage of the fund. Um, and, you know, we, we just wanted to build something great where we loved to work and loved what we were doing. We never had an exit plan. So even if a VC might have been interested and we have lots of conversations over the years, it was a very difficult conversation because they're like, well, who's going to buy you? Or who's going to do this? Or, you know, are you going to go public? We don't know. Like none of those things matter to us. We know that we are building a company that's growing fast with people we love and a culture we love. That is, yeah. So, um, so when you did you actually end up raising money with Grasshopper? No, we actually never raised any outside really? capital um, besides a little bit of um, uh, debt from Silicon Valley Bank um, in the kind of last twelve months to uh, pay for advertising. But it was you know had no uh, equity component at all; it was just pure debt. Interesting. Um, and you know we needed to do that because this year we spent um, twelve and a half million dollars on terrestrial radio, so it was just a cash flow issue. Okay, interesting. Yeah, and so with your new fund, you're looking for companies between what five hundred and a million in in recurring revenue. Yeah, so we definitely prefer recurring revenue businesses. We have invested in some that are are not necessarily SaaS or recurring revenue, but. Yeah, I mean, what we look for now, and we've shifted over the past kind of you know three to six months to this, which is um, only investing in companies with half a million to a million dollars in revenue, um, growing profitably, um, with no intentions of raising another round. Um, so they're not playing the you know pre-seed, seed, you know post-seed, a round, like you know all of these silly games um, to raise money. Uh, we believe in you know companies that can grow organically and at the right time, bring in capital 
as needed to fuel marketing growth or things like that, but not be on this constant drip of VC money um, and selling unprofitable products. So what makes that 500 to a million the right time to, to get investment? Yeah, I mean, I think to, to some extent it's, it's sort of a random number, but it's sort of not. Um, I think it just indicates that someone has generated enough genuine interest um, that there is the possibility of it expanding, right? Um, I think a lot of people can get to, you know, between five and $10,000 a month in recurring revenue, which is, you know, call it one hundred dollars to $150,000 a year relatively easily today. Right, without much capital, without much infrastructure, you know, a good entrepreneur can usually get to that stage. Um, and there's a lot of people at that stage. So we kind of want the the person who has stepped beyond that without raising money and proven that they have quote unquote product market fit. I hate the, that term, right? I think it's overused, but you know, really prove that it's a product that has the potential for scale, um, which is different than just an app or something interesting that a few people are buying. And what are the outcomes that you're looking for from an investor's point of view? Yeah, that's a great, great question. So um, I, I truly believe that um, the majority of angel investors, except you know, quote unquote, super angels or people that have went on to raise funds, um, they have to realize that angel invest, investing is not a profitable way to make money. Right? They're they're doing it for a multitude of reasons. Maybe it's giving back. Maybe it's learning. Maybe it's supporting the community. You know, for me, it's much more about supporting the community and giving back um, and then learning. So I love to learn new things, new industries, um, things that I don't know. Like before starting Grasshopper, I had no idea about telecom, right? So, um, you know, I I think that's um, important to note. Um, My outcomes, you know, I expect that companies that are on this track um, have no reason to necessarily sell unless it's just an amazing offer. Uh, they have no reason to raise money, so I'm not as worried about valuation. So the outcome to me is much more a long-term outcome where the founders and stakeholders are all making money kind of similarly. Um, so capital is returned not just on exit events, but we're trying to structure deals um, more and more where capital is returned um, with profit over time based on a, a number of triggers that are within the company. Interesting. And how do you how do you determine those? Is that um, is that like a is it company by company basis, or is there some kind of model that you guys have been using? So we're trying to standardize that right now. We've just kind of you know made some you know rough determinations. Um, went on kind of what uh, uh, Bryce from IndyVC uh, started a little bit, which is kind of returning based on founder salary and profitability. I think those are probably going to be the key areas. Um, I, I think we will standardize on something. I don't know what it is yet. Um, what we'll, we'll kind of time will tell. But in general, the concept being that as the company and the founder, founder or founders are successful, so should the investors in the same way. Um, that way, there's no reason that we need to sell the company and there's no pressure from the investors to sell the company. Interesting. So you're almost like another employee, if you will, down the line um, yeah. as a line item. Yeah, absolutely. Huh. Very cool. Um, so are there any areas or sectors that this is working really well in, uh, that you see companies being able to bootstrap and grow to this rate? Yeah. I mean, I think that this is really possible in any area. Um, so many founders say to me, well, you know, I'm in quote unquote, a capital intensive, you know, industry. 
I, I don't think that really exists anymore unless you're like building cars, mm-hmm. right? That there are very few industries that exist anymore, including um, hardware, right? Like if we look at very successful people that have built hardware startups on Kickstarter and you know have raised money that way and have bootstrapped to reasonable size numbers, it's no longer this barrier that requires tremendous capital, right? Um, this this barrier, I think, is even lower in software as a service and recurring business models um, that are selling software. So obviously, software is a key area, but we are seeing this elsewhere. Okay, cool. Yeah, and do you have you invested elsewhere yet? Um, so we invested in a, a company called Scout Alarm. Um, this was prior to our shift in kind of investment thesis a little bit. Um, and, you know, they, they're definitely a hardware startup. Um, they're they're going to need to raise money um, to fund uh, inventory, which is you know, a different challenge than it is to, to grow. Um, so I don't know if it necessarily fits this model exactly. But, you know, we have funded a number of startups outside of software, um, some in the healthcare space, things like that. But our focus for sure is software. So uh, the latest thing I funded was, was Groove um, HQ. HQ yeah. So... You know, um, love what they are doing, and Alex, great founder, um, and you know, I think it fits well with our philosophy. When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices: construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country, or invent a talking pillow. AT and T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. So the companies that you're funding uh, at the stage that they're at, do you find that the, the money that you're putting in is being used in a consistent way at so, that stage? Uh- yeah, so I mean, so, sometimes it's not being used at all, which is what, what we prefer, right? Um, where the money is not needed for anything, and it's more access to our networks and experience and, and things like that. Um, you know, that that's a, a preferable scenario. If it is being put to work, I think the best place is fueling paid marketing growth, which is one of the things that we got very good at. Um, and I think a lot of people overlook because the trend is to say, like let's all do content marketing and quote unquote free, you know, social this and all sorts of buzzwords. Um, and I think a lot of companies miss out on this opportunity uh, to just fuel pure growth with, with paid advertising. It's worked for decades. It continues to work. And I think too many online companies ignore it. Because hmm. I mean, there it is expensive, though. I mean, like you were saying, you spent. You know, oh, I guess that was terrestrial radio. Um, but you know, oftentimes it feels like you have to spend a couple million to really get a return. Yeah. So I mean, terrestrial radio is an example, right? But that's twelve years into running a company and six years into running um, satellite radio, right? So we ran satellite radio for a number of years, literally since they opened with Howard Stern, um, and. You know, spent anywhere from some, you know, when we started, you know, $10,000, $15,000, you know, up to fifty or sixty or $70,000, right? So, um, you know, those, those are numbers that are, you know, at scale, not that bad, right? So we learned a lot about that before we then tested terrestrial radio with a million dollars, then went in for a full buy at $12.5 million, right? So um, I think 
the people don't always see the progression up to that. They see the, the end point. Mm. Um, and there's just too many companies that spend too much time on only doing free stuff. And don't get me wrong. We did a lot of SEO. We did a lot of content marketing. We got very good at it. But that was a supplementary market or channel as, as well as our paid channels. Interesting. And you, you saw, did you see more growth from the paid channels in the long run? Well, I mean, it's predictable growth, right? Okay. It's, it's a dollar in and $3 out, right? Which is a formula that only works if you're running a profitable, good company. Um, if you're not, obviously this formula doesn't work, but we knew for every dollar we spend, how many dollars we got back, right? Yeah. Um, and we could ramp that up very predictably. Um, unlike content marketing, which, you know, you have to invest over months and you can't predictably, you can't like say, I'm going to hire a hundred people to do content marketing. It just doesn't scale that way. Right. Um, compared to these paid channels. Interesting. Yeah, no, that's, um, it is something that it's challenging for companies to get into because you're literally putting out that capital. I think that may be part of the, I guess, apprehension towards doing it. The key though is right. Having a a positive cash convert conversion cycle, right? Right. So at grasshopper, you know, we're, we were collecting on a credit card. So getting into our account almost instantly, right. Um, the, the next month and the previous month's usage, right. So, um, we collect money, We'd have terms net 45, net 60 with our vendors, and then pay our vendors on a credit card, right? So that extended our cash flow cycle by 45 to 60 plus days, right? From the time that we collected a dollar till we had to pay it out. So initially, we could use that spread to, to buy advertising. And then over time, as we built up a war chest, that spread could get larger and larger. Um, and, you know, that's... That's why I think that there are times that it makes sense to raise capital where if you have that formula down and you know that you can put a dollar in and get $3 out, however, it takes six months and you only can support four months with your cash, that's a, a perfect example of using capital. Do you th- kind of see this like building businesses like they used to be built um, before we became obsessed with the Silicon Valley ABC model? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that there are tremendous numbers of businesses that are built like this. They just don't get any attention, right? So when we, when we sold Grasshopper, no one said anything, right? Which, which I was perfectly happy with. I, I prefer it that way, right? right. We built a great, a, a great thing. The employees were in a great place when we sold it. They continue to be 100% of them stayed, right? So like all the things that mattered to us happened. So I didn't care about not hearing about it. But yeah, I think it is a detriment to the you know, general ecosystem that we hear about someone raise a million dollars as a success, we don't hear about it when they go out of business in six months or when their next round is raised at half of what the previous round was raised at, right? Um, and we're seeing that in the late stage markets today. Square going public at you know a third of its previous private valuation, Snapchat and Dropbox getting written down by BlackRock and Fidelity, right? I mean, like it's happening. Um, and we, we hear about the positives and not the negatives. So I, I do believe there's a lot of people doing it, and I wish there was more attention to it. Um, but yeah, building a business that genuinely sells something for a profit seems like a good idea to me. So what do you think that startups today are missing out or forgetting on that traditional businesses understand on a really deep level? 
Yeah. So I think if you look at like any small business, right? And, and the difference between a small business and a startup is a small business is probably not going to scale up and a startup is, is supposed to scale, right? Um, a small business has to be sell things at a profitable rate with good gross margin and good net profit, right? Otherwise, they don't last very long. They don't have access to these ridiculous capital markets to make silly bets, right? I think that's what we're missing out on. Like just genuinely having a good business model that makes a profit on everything we sell, people pay us for what we do, and we can bootstrap a business to a point that has reasonable scale and may or may not need capital to, to fuel it, but we don't use capital to make guesses and, and you know, these kind of fake home runs, right? Um, and one of the things that is, you know, very kind of bad about this whole thing is the people that come out the worst are the founders, right? This is not hurting any fund or VC because they have a portfolio, right? But a founder doesn't have a portfolio. So I'm making a single bet as a founder for a home run, and my likelihood of a home run is near zero, right? But that's why a venture capital firm makes 100 bets or whatever number of bets, right? Because they need a portfolio approach, a third fail, a third do nothing, and maybe a third have some success. Um, so the founders are the people that get hurt because they make these big bets. They only have one player in the game and their likelihood of success is near zero. Yeah, they can't, uh, you can't really do multiple companies at once and no. each one to go to a good outcome. You're looking at seven, 10 years. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And so you're investing a tremendous amount of opportunity cost into that. Um, and, you know, I think the other piece that people miss is, you know, owning, you know, 80, 90 or 100 percent of a hundred million dollar company um, is comparable to owning, you know, one percent of a billion dollar company. But the likelihood of getting to 100 million is much more likely than getting to a billion. Right. So, you know, if I'm making just a statistical bet, right, forget about anything else, just a statistical bet, I should be betting on the, the first, not the second. So it seems like you're not really into following the the traditional path that everyone's on. Do you think that outside of investment that startups are doing that in any other ways? Yeah, I mean, I do think there are some startups doing this, um, especially ones outside of the Bay Area, New York, even Austin now, like outside of those typical areas um, where people are making smart decisions about you know, location arbitrage in essence, right? They're building really great startups in areas that are not traditionally for startups. So they have access to good talent. They're building remote companies. They're, they're doing things differently, right? Um, and those are some of the companies that we love kind of talking to um, and hopefully we'll be able to engage with more as we kind of go down this path. How do you find companies that are in the right stage to invest in? Yeah, um, I really, I, like, I wish I had a better approach. Um, at some point, maybe we will. But you know, for this, it's not a business, right? This is a passion. So um, you know, I, I don't have necessarily a refined approach. Um, I look for products I love. Um, I look for products that people use regularly. So it's not a one-off type thing um, that they engage with again and again. Uh, and that people that are doing smart marketing today and not ignoring channels um, so I love when I see a company in a number of different spaces doing a bunch of different stuff. So, you know, someone like Groove HQ, right? A Alex and his team do a great job on content marketing, but they also continue to test paid channels, right? Um, and they do things like that 
So they're smart about those decisions. Um, so those are the things we like to see. Nice. Well, when uh, if you're experimenting with paid channels at an early stage or at the stage where you're investing even, um, even if you're making, let's say, a million a year, your monthly recurring isn't that high once you have a team paid under it. So when you're experimenting with small budgets, what do you think you can do to uh, to get the most out of it and make sure that you're not throwing that away? Is it about having everything optimized before you even start with a paid channel? Or are there certain things companies can do to, to stay on the right path? Yeah, so I think that there's there's two ways to look at it. One is, yes, there should be some optimization that's happened. I don't think it needs to be optimized perfectly. Um, and optimization has to continue to happen, right? Um, however, I would be testing a lot of different channels because I want to gain two pieces of information. One is directionally, do I have information about channels that may work and which ones don't? Right. So I want to know, does paid search work for me? Right. Does radio work for me? Does print does like do these things work for me or not with relatively small bets to find out? Right. Um, Then I can take a look at these array of things and make a decision about which ones are going to pay back in a reasonable amount of time based on the cash I have. Right. Um, So and continuously doing that. So always making these small bets to test out areas. Right. So if if we look back. If we had said, well, we don't know if radio works and we never tried satellite radio, we never would have found that it was a channel that it wasn't enormous, right? But it produced solid results at good CPAs, um, but we never would have ended up at doing terrestrial radio, which produces amazing results, right? It just, that progression wouldn't have happened because we didn't make small bets along the way. Um, The other piece that I think is important to to gain information on is, you know, what does real purchasing behavior look like and the CPAs behind it, right? Because that points to what the unit economics of the business really are outside of people that just love the product and, you know, are finding it organically compared to people that you have to educate maybe a a little bit around the need or the the problem or even the solution, Um, you know, some of those things like, that's a business that can scale compared to just people that know they have to have this product. Yeah. Very cool. Um, so where can we kind of keep up with you um, on this, this new journey of yours? Yeah. So I, I try to um, update stuff on angel list a little bit. Um, uh, Twitter. Um, th- those are kind of the two core places. Um, I, I, don't make it very formal because, again, it's just something I love to do. So it's kind of, you know, as things happen. But, um, you know, if anything formalizes, I'm sure someone could find it quite easily. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you guys having me, and I, I really love what you guys do. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Rocket Ship Podcast. If you enjoyed it, we have tons of other awesome episodes on our website. Check them out, rocketship.fm. And while you're there, make sure you sign up for our newsletter, where twice monthly we send out actionable advice for entrepreneurs and exclusive links to AMAs with our guests. That's rocketship.fm. Sign up today.
I'm still too scared